0: You know, being a waiter or waitress is a really tough job. Those of you guys who pull that off, I'm impressed because I used to be a waiter uh, for two weeks. That's all I could take. But this will not come as a surprise to you. I eat out a lot. I'm in a lot of different restaurants. So I'm I'm encountering and seeing waiters and waitresses at work. And I kind of came up with this fun list of different types of waiters and we won't go through all of them but let me share a couple with you. There is that guy or gal who will not write down the order. <laughs> that is such a moment of anxiety for me. <laughs> they they get the order and and they just refuse. It's like a like a I don't know, like a pride thing, you know, no paper, no pen, they're listening, and by the third person, I can tell they're getting confused, I can tell that they're, 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 there's a facial expression that's changing, and I want to just help them and say, here's a paper, here's a pen, this may be part of my control issues that some people think I have, um, you're not going to say anything today, in the first service, she went, amen, that's my wife over there, a beautiful angel, a messenger from the Lord, right? To keep me humble. So so they don't write down the order at all. And I guess it's supposed to impress us, but it actually causes some mild anxiety to happen in me. And I can't enjoy the conversation or the bread or the chips or salsa because I'm wondering, are they going to get it right? Are they going to get it right? And then when they come back, it's like a, it's like a test. I, I want to just say, you forgot the extra ranch. I knew you couldn't do it. I knew you couldn't do it. Just write it down. Then there's the waiter or waitress who does a good job, but they have this attitude as if to say, I'm working for you now, but I'll be a millionaire in three months and you'll be buying my album. (laughs) This happens in some of those cool restaurants in East Nashville. We like going to those, but they're like, let me get your order and I will be a millionaire soon. I can't believe I'm doing this. And they do a good job. I mean, it's, it's an effective job. And they actually do well and typically get the order correct. But there's no joy in it, right? There's no happiness. There's just no love behind what they do. So th- these are a couple of the, the categories I came up with. But that second person reminds me of where a lot of us can be as Christians, that we're pretty good at being Christians, And we get the job done, but there's no love behind what we do. We have grown up with certain social expectations. In addition, you know, we we want to spend eternity in the right place, not the wrong place. And so we do what we have to do, but our heart's not behind it, and our work's not behind it. Well, this passage in 1 John, John equates obedience... With love. And that's why the title of this message is Enjoying Jesus. Because the scripture keeps calling us to a life of dedication to the Father and obedience to His way. But the heart of Christ as our Savior is not that we have to do these things, but we get to do these things. We have the opportunity to be obedient. And what I don't want you to do is, I don't want you to be just a dutiful Christian. I suppose that there is value in that like God does want us to do right things and there is value to doing right things even if they're sometimes for not the best motive I can actually look back at my life and I made some decisions that my heart wasn't in and it still benefited me so I'm not suggesting at all hey if you're not into it don't obey God that's not what I'm suggesting what I'm saying is that when there's perfect alignment is when our heart and actions are in line. And then we find that out of the overflow of our heart, our actions and behavior, it just because, becomes who we are, not something we do. It becomes who the essence of who we are. So John, when he was writing this epistle, he was trying to deal with a, a false doctrine, a heresy. And so there's all these themes of where he's trying to identify who is part of us, who is a Christian, who is not a Christian. And he's trying to get this theme out because there were some who believed that Jesus was only God when he was baptized by John the Baptist. And then he failed to be God right before he died on the cross. So he wasn't born God and he didn't die God. And that is just um, something that would mess up the whole gospel story. And so we know that that's inaccurate and does not reflect what scripture teaches. So John is trying to Make these corrections, and within that, he's trying to determine, okay, who's in, who, who's part of God and who's not part of God? And so we go back to the text we've already read, First John chapter 5, starting with verse 1, and it says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. I want to talk about verse 1 for a little bit this is a remarkable statement. Who's saved? Who's a Christian? You know, we like to really complicate this question. And a lot of times we take some of Jesus's very confrontational words, where Jesus was really in the face of the Pharisees and the religious people. He was like saying, you guys are not who you think you are. You are not so right with God. And I'm going to speak to your hypocrisy and I'm going to speak to where your heart is and and Jesus was very controversial and what he was, he uh, confrontational and controversial he was trying to break down the religious people so they would see their need for Jesus and now as his message continues to expand and by the Holy Spirit is expounded on by Paul and by Peter and by John and the others who wrote the epistles We find here that it's not works that save us, but grace that saves us, faith that saves us. So here's the question. Who is a Christian? Well, we like to say that people we don't agree with are not Christians. Like other denominations, maybe. Our church isn't part of a denomination, but if you were part of a denomination, you might say, well, that group or that sect or... Are those people, because of their style, or whatever the case is, or because of their interpretations, they're not Christians. But look what verse 1 said. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been born of God. Now, I want you to see that this is not talking about just an intellectual position. This is talking about a birth. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah is a son or daughter of God. They've been born anew. And I'm so glad that in this year, 2018, we, we see that there are some things that have digressed, but some things have improved. And one of the things that have improved dramatically is in the life of our faith here in the United States of America, the old denominational wars are over. Now we see that we need one another. And if someone believes that Jesus is the Messiah, they're a brother, they're a sister, they're part of us. I'm so happy for the growth at Our Lady of the Lake Catholic community. No doubt that there are traditions that are part of that that church and there are things, interpretations of the scriptures that we don't agree with. But do you know who in that spiritual community is a Christian? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah. Everyone, they're brothers, they're sisters. And God's helping us to see that though we can make interpretations and determinations through things like Veritas that help us to look more closely at scripture, we can take biblical stands and stand and, and even interpret nuances of scriptures that help form our faith without having to isolate and marginalize and exclude others who know Jesus just because they interpret some scripture differently or because they have traditions that we aren't used to or don't prefer. It's about, are you a son or are you a daughter? Whether you're Church of Christ, Southern Baptist, Assembly of God, those things are just how churches organize. What matters when you stand before God, are you a son, are you a daughter? Have you had a birth? Have you had a new birth? Is something new within you? So you see in verse 1, he establishes everyone who believes that Jesus is Messiah has been born of God. And now here's another important part of this. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. Everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. So you love Jesus and you love his kids. Another way to say this, this is a real simple way. If, if you love the father, you love his kids. You love his kids too. I remember growing up, going to the mall, back when Americans used to go to the mall. And we went all the time. I and mean, we were at the mall all the time. Had a big mall in our city, loved going there. And uh, uh, my dad would be off working, so mom, mom would take us when she wasn't teaching school. And we would run into these ladies who were the same age as my mom. And I did not know their names. But they were so excited to see me. And they started telling me how much I had grown and these memories they had of me when I was a toddler. So my mom's friends were my friends because they loved me even though they didn't really know me. They loved me because I was the son of their friend. I think about this on Wednesday nights when now on Wednesday nights I don't do a whole lot here except serve and help and and, and make sure things are, are, are moving. So one of the joys of my week is to kind of stand in this transitional hallway and I see little kids dropped off for Awana and I know a lot of the parents but I don't know the kids as much. I'm trying to learn their names but you guys are making it difficult because you have lots of kids <laughs> and they have all these modern names that are hard to discern, you know. Dylan and Colby and things like that. What happened to like Jack and Bob? You know, those, those <laughs> names are a lot easier. So I'm writing these names down. I'm trying to memorize them. I'm trying to learn them. And these kids, I don't really know them. I don't spend time with them, but but I love them because I know their parents and I see their parents' traits in them. You see a four-year-old with a Cleveland Indians baseball shirt on. Well, he didn't choose to be a Cleveland Indian fan, <laughs> but then I think, oh yeah, that fam, they're from Ohio. No wonder, no wonder. And yet. You see another little child with the Disney paraphernalia and you're like, oh yeah, that's that family who goes to Disney like all the time. They're like always going to Disney. Yeah, that little child has those traits in them. And so we can celebrate diversity and still celebrate the greatness of our father, can't we? So you know what would be very helpful, and I'll try to take the lead in this, and hopefully I have. If we just do our best to lay aside criticism of other churches and other movements and other Christian leaders it doesn't mean we're not people with opinions and standards and, and perspectives but we know this is that we need one another and we need each other as, as Christians, the, the church we need each other and God God moves in a variety of ways to accomplish his purposes and accomplish his plans and to do the things that he wants to do so this is this idea, who's a Christian? It's someone who, someone who loves It's someone who obeys. And the second part of this is where is our confidence? All right? So look at verse 2. For this is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey his commands. So here's my first point today. I know it took me a long time to get to point number one, but don't let that make you nervous. I won't be that long. I'm watching that clock, and I know noon is your hard deadline, people. I I know that is. Here's the first one is... For love love for God, obedience indicates love. Obedience indicates your love. Jesus said this same thing in John chapter 15. John recorded these words. He says, as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Guys, this is one of many scriptures that reminds us that obedience is not about following rules. Obedience is about friendship with our God. And here's what happens when you break God's rules, or I don't even like to say break God's rules. When when you are not concerned about obedience, here's a better way to put that, is then you want to hide from God. A lot of us are hiding from God because we don't want God's word in our life. We don't want God's perspective. We don't want God's insight. And so we begin to hide. Sometimes we're hiding in very sophisticated ways. You know, it's really easy to hide in this room. You can be physically present, but you can be inwardly rebellious to the voice of God or just shutting off, shutting off the voice of God, no longer no longer sensitive to what the Lord says, just hoping The sermon gets over, hoping the service is over, hoping this portion of your week is over so you can begin to live for yourself. And what happens is it's not that you're not following rules. That's not the issue. The issue is you're disconnected from that friendship with God. You're disconnected with him. The heart of the Father says, come on, come back. Come back to me. Come back to my ways. Come back and be part of who I am. This is what he says. And there's something new he has in you. That's why our psalm for the day that Jessica read in, in our call to worship, Psalms 98, verse 1 through 3, sing a new song to the Lord. Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has performed wonders. His right hand and holy arms have won him victory. It's amazing what happens that when God begins to change our hearts out, it changes our love language. Music is our love language, music expresses our emotions, and He begins to put a new song in you. Some of you are songwriters, and the Lord, as He begins to move in you, He's going to begin to give you songs about Him, songs even about life. That has his perspective and his heart and, and, and his love flowing through them. And there's a new song. Some of you have had like a writer's block in songwriting. Or maybe you are a author, a writer, a poet, whatever the case is. And, and you're just very frustrated. And I'd say this. More of him... More creativity is coming, more connection with Him, more connection with His presence. Sing a new song to the Lord, for He's performed wonders. His right hand, His old, holy arm, has won victory. Verse 2 The Lord has made His victory known. He's revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His love and faithfulness to the house of Israel, all the ends of the earth, before our uh, have seen our God's victory. Then Verse 9 says, before the Lord, he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world righteously and the peoples fairly. This is part of the obedience we have to the Lord because we can trust the Lord. Sometimes we can't trust our boss, our overseer. Sometimes we feel like we can't trust someone who we're receiving a paycheck from. Or maybe, maybe you feel like you can't trust someone who who is a, a teacher or, or a coach of yours for whatever reason, I'm not trying to suggest that, I'm just saying you, you feel like you can't trust him because you're not sure what their motives are. You can fully trust the leadership of Christ in your life 100%. He has the best for you even when you don't agree with him on the front end. Because you love him, you'll obey him. Now, if you think that Jesus in his way if you think, well, that's a good idea and I'm going to do it, that's disagreement. Obedience is when Jesus tells you to do something that's tough and that causes sacrifice and hurts a little bit and maybe you don't even understand it, but you say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to obey you, Lord. Why? Because I love you. And because I love you and I've received your love, I, I believe that what your word reveals and now what the Holy Spirit's confirming in me is best for me. And that's what you want to do. How many of you either currently are at one time or in a marching band? Let me see your hands if that's you, huh? Oh, every section, every section, all four of the sections. <laughs> every section, someone's hand went up. And I'm going to tell you something, marching band people, you guys worked hard, worked really hard. Man, I have a lot of respect for people in the marching band because it takes months of anticipation before that first contest or first game, early mornings, late nights. And in some ways, you kind of lose your own will. Now, no one's ever put a piece of brass in my hand. That would be a very dangerous thing to do. So I'm speaking from observation, you know, not firsthand experience. But I know this, that, that I can know this from watching and talking to people, that you have to listen very clearly to the instruction of the drum major and whatever other categories they have. And you respond, and you somewhat lose your will. But something of beauty happens when everyone is marching in a very purposeful direction sometimes it 's not the same direction, but everyone is is in sync everyone 's doing what they 're supposed to do, and even though there is a a sacrifice of freedom in that moment, there is something of beauty that occurs and I want to tell you something about marching band. now I do know this because i one year I was a bus driver there 's a lot of stories about that too that was only that was a temporary one year kind of thing and, and I would drive. Um, some of these bands to competition and back. And after the competition, and I found this to be true almost universally, uh, marching bands are crazy, man. They they party. I mean, they are just a crazy bunch of people. And, And part of it, I think, is all that discipline and all that structure produces a joy. A joy because art, art comes that moves people's hearts and moves them Visually. Here's my second point. Obedience becomes a joy. The, the discipline that God invites us to participate in, the opportunity God gives us to obey him, even when it's not our preference and even when it hurts a little bit and even when it's kind of hard, actually produces, we can take this analogy much further as... Within context of the community, okay, here's a new revelation on that. It it, it produces something of beauty. It's artistic. It's wonderful. And it fills us with joy because obedience fills us with joy. That's why I love our passage today, starting in verse 3, as we pick up the passage. For this is what the love of God is, to keep his commands. Now, his commands are not a burden. Because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. It didn't say his commands were easy. It did not say that his commands didn't, didn't call for sacrifice and a sacrificial life or even some temporary pain. Because sometimes following Jesus is painful temporarily. Sometimes it costs us, probably in our context here, it probably costs us some social ostracism. So there might be some time when, you know, You're not friends with someone because you're living for Christ. You may get passed over for a raise because you're living for Christ and you're not going to compromise your values. You you may, because you sacrifice and you volunteer at the church, uh, that may mean you don't advance as fast as you thought you would at this point of your career. But the Lord works all that out. My point is this, is those sacrifices are difficult and hard and sacrificial, but they're not a burden to us. That's what it's, it's not a burden. It's actually a joy to sacrifice for the kingdom. With everything Christ has done for me, it's not hard for me to sacrifice for Him. It would be like this Ask a mother, assign a mother, and say, Your job, mom, is to take care of your child. That's your job, that's what you're commanded to do. Well, the mom naturally loves the child. So even though at 3 in the morning, that's not fun, so I've heard. (laughs) At 3 in the morning, though, that's not fun to get up and take care of a child. And I'm kidding. I did that stuff also. It was, it was, it was, it was joy. This this is not going good. uh, This (laughs) is not good. There's a joy, isn't there, right? There's a joy in, because it's what you're called to do and assigned to do. And so it is as believers, guys. God didn't call us to live a life where there's no persecution or there's going to be no sacrifice or there's going to be um, no pain. But there's joy in that. There's joy in that. And in the end, we know this the Lord is a rewarder of those who, who seek him. And so there's all kinds of favor and blessing that comes in this life, too. The scripture is very clear about that. But God wants to develop people that are not scared of persecution. He wants to develop people with a resolve. You know, I just thought of something. A couple of weeks ago, it rained, and, and I, I put a little social media post, and I said, congratulations to everyone in Middle Tennessee who went to church in the rain. You know, it was just kind of a fun little post. And I, I kind of was impressed with how many people came to church that day. And a friend of mine, Dave Kibler, who, who's a pastor in Lexington now, he 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 commented, he said, I used to pray that it wouldn't rain so more people would come to church. Now I pray for more people who come to church whether it rains or not. Pretty good, huh? I should have waited and posted that myself uh, next year. <laughs> Been deep. Obedience is our joy. Well, we're running out of time, aren't we? You're supposed to say, keep going, preacher. John loves the word overcome. He uses it a lot. In fact, in the book of Revelation, which he wrote, he used the word overcome seven different times. Why? Because he knows this, is that when we're born of God, it makes us victorious. The second birth puts us at a place of victory. The first birth, our natural birth, actually, we inherit... uh, a tendency to sin. We just like doing bad, mean stuff. If you don't believe me, you're welcome to volunteer in the nursery. Those kids are cute, but they're mean. They hit, bite, yell, scream, steal. They do all the stuff that I did too and you did too. That is what we inherit in the first birth. But in the second birth, we get a new nature. And that's why conversion or being born again, uh, a really fully trusting Christ, it's a transformational experience. It's not just positionally having your name only being written in the book of life like it's some kind of legal transaction. It's a transformation from the inside. Look again at verse 3 and 4 so I can remind you what this says. It says, verse 4, whatever has been born of God conquers the world. Whatever's been born of God, if you were reborn, you are a winner. If you have been reborn, you are a conqueror. It's who you are. Sometimes we wrongly believe in Christianity that only the elite, only the truly disciplined, only the top top 5% or 10% are the conquerors and everyone else is just trying to live their life out and just struggle spiritually. That's not true. Every single person who's been born of God is a winner. Every single person is victorious. That is who we are by the nature of the rebirth. That is who we are. And so we come into services like this, and we have devotionals during the week, and we, we have reminders about the things of God, our meditation and our prayer, to remind us not of who we want to be, but to remind us of who God has already made us in his rebirth. And he's made us victorious. He's made us victors. He's made us people who, even when we fall down, we keep getting up and we keep moving forward. This is the call that God has for us. Legend tells of Alexander the Great, who was the greatest, one of the greatest military minds of all time. He, he saw a soldier who was not being brave and he went and he asked the, the young man, he said, what is your name? And the young man said, Alexander, which is a common name for that time. And so he said, son, get up and fight or change your name. And that can be a little lesson for us, who we are. If we begin to discover these scriptures like 1 John chapter 5, 1-6 through 6 of who we are, then we begin to step into that assignment and be the person God has called us to be. Here's my last point today. Obedience welcomes the Holy Spirit welcomes the Holy Spirit. Look at verse six. Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. We see here uh, a sign of the Trinity here. Jesus Christ, he came and that water and blood is Most likely referring to the cross, that's what scholars believe. It's it's certainly what, what I believe is that it's talking about what happened to him when he was pierced in his side and blood and water flowed out of his side. And now because of Jesus in the cross, the spirit is the one who testifies. Here's my last point today. Obedience welcomes the Holy Spirit. Obedience is not about observing the rules. It's about inviting his presence, inviting his work, inviting the work of what he is called to do. In Acts chapter 10, Peter was challenged to do something no one had ever done to go and to reach out to the Gentiles and to be with the Gentiles. And look what happened in verse 45 of Acts chapter 10. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were were astounded Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speaking in other languages and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized? Who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. What I want you to see there is, if you look at the context of that, when Peter obeyed, the Holy Spirit showed up in new ways. More obedience, more Holy Spirit, more submission to him, more of God's presence. There's an awareness because all of a sudden when we begin to obey the Lord, it's like putting out a welcome mat for the presence of God. The presence of the Lord begins to just uh, flow into different areas of our life. That's one of the reasons I think that that we are hesitant to obey because we're scared of the Holy Spirit, or we just don't want the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's not even more scared of them. We just don't want his interference. I mean, guys, we like our sin. We like the stuff we do. That's why we do it. We wouldn't do it if we didn't like it or enjoy it at some level. And so we we when the Holy Spirit begins to expose those things and the light of His presence come and says, that's darkness. That doesn't belong to God's people. In light of what Jesus has done, in light of the faith and the grace that has been given to you freely, in light of that, how can we not let the power of the Holy Spirit touch those areas of our life? And so it is that Jesus begins to come, His presence, the Holy Spirit begins to come and begins to work on those, those parts of our life that we want to keep hidden. And, and, and then we say, no. We know we, we, in a very sophisticated way. I, I, don't want, I, don't want that, I don't want that involvement. I don't want your involvement, Lord. Listen, obedience means more of his Holy Spirit, more of his Holy Spirit. Let's stand together as we prepare to, to respond to the presence of the Lord. Thank you, Father, for these last few minutes that you're going to move in a very particular way. We thank you for it. We thank you for it, Lord. We love you so much. We love you so much, and we, we we're going to prepare and open the table of the Lord. We have a few minutes left before I dismiss our service today. Pastor Deborah will be um, offering communion by intention, which is part of the Jewish custom of taking the bread and dipping it into the cup, and 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 so she'll be there to offer that. And then I, I know. I, our prayer partners, I'll be down here as one of our prayer partners, and, and Rick and Sandy Walmark are coming down. These are godly people who work with our, our children, lead a 242 group. They, they are so full of God's wisdom and, and love. It's more about the love. And so if you have a prayer need, these guys will, will love to pray with you. I'll be over here to pray with you to your right. And we, we have uh, communion to your left, to your right, and also in the back. If you're visiting with us on this particular Sunday, I won't give further instructions. You can take the bread and take the cup when your heart is ready. And so we'll do that as Jessica leads us in worship today. You can come to your right, to your left. You can come here to the middle to receive communion by intention. And then in just a few minutes, I'll give a dismissal for those of you who are able to stay for three or four or five more minutes. Father, we come to you right now. Lord, we just invite your presence here. Uh, Lord, we know you're here, but we need to invite you here. We pray that, Lord, the truth of your scripture would help us as we rearrange our hearts and minds and our lives for you. Lord, we give this all to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The table of the Lord is open to you today.